trying to make sure my clock was right because I've got a whole bunch of clocks in front of me on the computer and they cover the whole country. And the other night, the clock that I usually refer to was about 30 seconds off for some reason. And uh, so uh, my timing was a little bit off. But it says here that this clock is about a second fast here. So that's not, that's that's the one that, that comes with the, the computer hookup. But uh, we got some time signals from the U.S. government here. Ah, enough of that. Tom Kearney here, the Tom Kearney Show on WPTF. We're here every night, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 with a little bit of live and in real-time radio. And we hope it will be either entertaining or, or educational. I was talking to our producer, John Salter, who you perhaps will have some contact with tonight because we're going to invite you to join us to talk about tonight's subject. And the number, of course, is the same number we use every night, 919-860-9783. And he was telling me that he was uh, watching TV tonight while he and his his uh, wife were sitting there watching TV or he was waiting for her to fix up or something like that. I don't know. He was watching TV and he said, he said that they were talking on the news broadcast or whatever about the, the uh, anxiety that was being created uh, by the fact that we are one day away from the presidential election. So uh, uh, I thought, well, why don't we have a program tonight where if you saw our schedule, you would say, I see that I put a, and we're going to have a meditation that, it, that deals with the, the electoral college and some American electoral history, something to deal with uh, elections and so on. And that, that in fact, is it. And it may, may, may wander a little bit further afield. And it's going to be relaxed. We will invite you to join us. We are not, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that we do not normally talk about uh, politics. Uh, in, in the present, it's, it's kind of like they say when they have an ongoing investigation in a a, uh, a violation of the law. That because it's a live, uh, an active discussion that, that we don't talk about it. We don't talk about politics. We don't talk about the current in, in people who are engaged. We talk about history. We talk about the machinations that bring about American politics. We, we're going to talk some tonight about the Electoral College, some about the Constitution, some elections in which the candidate who got the most votes did not win the election in terms of it's presidential, it's national. So even if you are from Seattle, Washington, or El Paso, Texas, you will be, uh, it will be part of your story. But it will be designed to re- reduce the anxiety that John heard that people were feeling. So we can just relax now. We're getting closer and closer to the resolution, uh, however long it may take, of the uh, the current uh, quadrennial madness is what one historian called it. Uh, that is, the American election for president occurs every four years, and that would make it quadrennial every four year. And uh, he thought of it in his, from his study of American history as a little bit of madness. And so... I, I wanted to take this opportunity to do a little reviewing. I had an opportunity a couple of years ago uh, when somebody, one of my ex-students from my teaching days, asked me to 
come and talk to some people about uh, the uh, the period of the transition from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution and the writing of the Constitution. And I had a chance to review that a little bit. I had, had reviewed it earlier in my school days and had been examined on it and the panel had passed muster. But you uh, you forget after a while, and I, I really enjoyed it, so I thought this will be a chance that I can read up on the Electoral College and why we got that strange critter. Because you know the American president is not elected by the popular vote. He is elected by the electors from each state. And uh, that has been the case since the beginning and since the Constitution was written up in the summer of 1787. I think they signed off on it about September of 87 and then began the process of each one of the the existing states at that point, and there were 13. North Carolina was the 12th, in fact, to ratify, and in fact, it ratified the, the Constitution after the country actually was in business. They, the people who wrote up the Constitution said after nine ratifications, after nine of the of the uh, colonies, states, in the Articles of Confederation, uh, which was the transitional government, not intended to be such, but to, it turned out to be between the revolutionary period and uh, the formalization of what has been our Constitution since it was ratified in the late 1780s, um, when nine of the colonies had ratified it, and it really didn't take too long, but there were some cantankerous people in some of the other colonies, North Carolina and Rhode Island being a couple of them, they were the 12th and 13th. Some of it had to do with whether there was uh, a Bill of Rights included in the Constitution, and ultimately that became a part of it. Some people, including the man who was known as the father of the Constitution, James Madison, were a little wary of it, but uh, if that's what it took to get the ship afloat and get it going, he was willing to, to go with it a little bit. This stuff is fascinating, and you ought to uh, hunt yourself up a book sometime and, and read about it. it this this part, and, and indeed all of American history is fascinating. So uh, the problem was they were meeting in Philadelphia. It was hot. They had gone there to, uh, I think, redo the Articles of Confederation, and they ended up deciding to uh, or, or amend the Articles of Confederation to try to make, make it work better. It just didn't work because there were 13 states, and each one of them wanted to do its own thing. That's not totally gone away, by the way, but uh, uh, a lot of things that have happened over the last 225 years have, have made it closer to, to being a community, e pluribus unum, many as one. Uh, so they got there and they decided uh, to redo the Constitution, to create the Constitution and come up uh, with a separation of powers. There would be a, an executive, there would be a legislature, and there would be a Supreme Court, each of them separate from the others. Uh, and they got down to one of the last problems that had not been resolved, and that had to do with how are we going to elect the president and what powers is he going to have? And they spent a lot of time on that. And part of... Uh, creating the Electoral College had to do with the question of how the chief executive would be chosen. And one of the historians, Jack Rockoff, who is probably one of the best historians of the Constitution, said that what they got was the, the, the 
the best of the worst things that they had. Uh, they, they had to have something or the Constitution could not be submitted for ratification. And so they kicked it around and they were not satisfied with, with what we have. And the Electoral College is not a whole lot different now than it was in 1787. It's one thing that has not been amended really. But there have been some amendments that have to do with party politics and, and who can be elected. And one of the things I've discovered is that a good many uh, modern Americans don't have any really feel for the history of American party politics. Uh, they think that if a person is called a Democrat in 1828 and a Democrat now, that he's a member of the same party. Well, he is and he isn't. They may be, it may, there may be a connection there, but the world has changed. And every time there's a fracture, like the Civil War would be a fracture and the Depression would be a fracture, and, and there's, it's kind of like a waterfall. What, what comes out at the bottom is different. And so it's not correct to... to uh, for instance, if you talk about the Democratic Party today or the Republican Party, to visit them with the sins of their elders because they're not the same people. They don't stand for the same thing. things. There may be an overlap, but, some, but things have changed. Certainly the... Well, this came up because a friend of mine was communicating with some of, his, some of our mutual friends, and they were telling him that the Democratic Party was this and was that, and the Republican Party was this or that, and, and uh, they were referring to the Democratic-Republican Party of uh, Jefferson's time, which in fact is not the Democratic or Republican Party of today. Its closest relation is with the Democratic Party, but they eventually just dropped the Republican Party and called it the Democratic Party, but the attitudes toward a lot of things have changed in the last 225 years. So it is not the same party. In fact, they weren't even supposed to be parties. That was the idea of the people who were creating the Constitution. Parties were regarded as bad. And we'll talk more about that when we come back after we take a break. If you want to join me with this amble across American history here and an effort to try to remind you of some things and reduce your anxiety, talk with Tom on a Monday night on the Tom Kearney Show. You can dial us up at 919, our area code, 860-9783. If you have letters on your telephone, 9783 works out to be our call letters, WPTF. We'll be back in a couple of moments, and join us if you will. got to make sure I don't tell you the wrong time tonight because they've got a clock up here. It's got a Atlantic Standard Time, which is an hour ahead of our time. Uh, we're back on Eastern time. We, uh, I guess you would have heard that or been aware of it by now. Mrs. Kearney and I went somewhere in the car this morning, and she was looking at the clock a little funny, and it's because I had not set it back, and it said 12 when it was 11 or something like that. But uh, be sure to reset your clock so you don't confuse yourself. But we spring forward and fall back, and we, we're back in, in phase. Uh, uh, we are wandering around the the American historical landscape with regard to elections uh, and the history of elections and the fact that uh, I think three or four, it sort of depends on how you look at it, of American presidents have been elected president with uh, less than the majority of the uh, popular vote. That is, they did not get. They came in second in the popular vote. Uh, 1824 was the year, and it was a special year. We'll come back to it in a moment. Uh, 
what they what they hadn't counted on was what attitude the United States would take, both internally uh, toward domestic policy and externally toward foreign policy. The world was uh, an active place. This was the, the years of the French Revolution, for instance, and just before the Napoleonic Wars, all of which would touch on the United States and uh, be a part of its future. And uh, internally, exactly how the American government was constructed and what it would would go on. One of the most popular historical figures now because of music on Broadway, and I don't know whether that stuff is accurate in that or what I kind of imagine it's mostly entertainment, but that's okay, too. It, it's reminded us that there was a person called Alexander Hamilton, and he was, I've always thought, although he was never president, one of the most important of the founding fathers. I know when I was a little kid, I read the Bob's Merrill biographies of the early leaders of America, and I knew who Ben Franklin was. He had never become president. But another one was Alexander Hamilton, and I knew he was had never been president. I knew who the presidents were. I'd memorized them. Um, who was this guy? Well, I was to learn that he was very important. He was very close to George Washington, and he was the first secretary of the Treasury, and the policies that he sought to put in force and that he more or less did, and which caused the division that would produce parties. This is how you get parties. The people who backed him were came to be called Federalists because they were people who generally wanted a, a strong stronger, maybe not strong, but stronger national government and wanted uh, uh, the kind of things that would produce uh, industry in America. They were not necessarily just rural parties. The, the other party, which was called in the beginning the Democratic-Republican Party, and eventually they dropped the Republican word. They really didn't change anything and became just the Democrats. Uh, it was the Federalists and the Democrats. They were more bucolic. They were more a party of, of rural America. And uh, in any event, uh, the, the, here was an opportunity to have two sides. And one of the things that Hamilton wanted to do was establish a strong, uh, so, well, what we would call a national bank today, something like the Federal Reserve, something that would manage the money and make credit available and develop that part of America, as well as the, the rural part. And there were the people that called themselves Democrats are the ones who didn't agree with this. And some of the, most of the people who were uh, wanted to support the domestic part of the thing of the banks, they thought the French Revolution uh, was not a good thing. They were conservative. They thought things ought to change slowly, and the king shouldn't be beheaded. And uh, the, the the Democrats tended, following the likes of Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe and so on, that it should be the other way around. And so you have a basis for division. You have a basis for the creation of the first two political parties. And so some rules were going to have to be made for elections, and that, that has to do with the Electoral College. We'll be back after we check the news. In elections, parties... Servicing your car, you need to know your cycle of service. Your cycle of service begins the month that you buy your car. That cycle does not necessarily match with the normal seasonal changes, what you would find in the in the maintenance manual. Uh, 
at King's Auto Service when when they begin, they will schedule your service intervals based on that cycle. For those using synthetic oil and driving limited miles like myself, you, I might go months past the normal service based on uh, those miles in the maintenance manual, and uh, we would need to schedule the service that I need, which is, in fact, what I do uh, to just two or three times a year. During your the service, when I, when I take my car to Kings, they, they check wipers, belts, tires, transmission levels. In fact, uh, take a look at everything. And they tell me whether I need new tires or not, for instance. For those of you who are currently driving a Toyota Prius or some other hybrid vehicle, the certified hybrid technicians at uh, Kings are able to refurbish your high-voltage battery pack for less than the, the, the amount that the dealer would charge to replace it. This uh, replacement usually takes place, by the way, at about 150,000 miles. Call Kings tomorrow to schedule a courtesy battery analysis. Kings Auto Service and Kings Correct Loop, easy to find at 1039 Northwest Street. They also have a state inspection station right there. It is near downtown Raleigh, and also kingsautomotive.net is on the web. Kings Auto Service, Raleigh's most uh, reliable auto service. take the car down a couple of weeks ago and had the first it's 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 a fairly old car i really don't want to tell you how old it is but longer than you'd expect and it's the first major stuff i had to have done it's a toyota and uh, it's it's uh, durable and king's auto has helped keep it that way uh, also i need to say that tomorrow night will not be here but you can tune into wptf as you would expect in our 97th year of service uh, to hear the election returns uh, for both uh, the national scene and regionally, locally. Uh, uh, and so that will be the case. We'll not be here. We will be back on Wednesday night. Nick Petro, who is with the National Weather Service and visits us regularly, will be here. You may have noticed that it's a little chillier than usual. We can ask him if, if winter has cheated on us because winter doesn't uh, come meteorologically until December 1st. But it, it sometimes... Well, tomorrow it's going to feel like that out there, so take your coat if you go to vote. Uh, so Nick will be with us on Wednesday. We'll have a nostalgia program on Thursday night, leaving this kind of open so we can deal with the exigencies of programming around the time of the election. Friday night will be trivia night, so we hope you will join us. We'll be here one way or the other each and every night. And tonight we are helping, as I tried to say at the beginning, to reduce anxiety. We are finally to the point uh, that the election is right on the other side of midnight now. And uh, the, the coverage, as uh, indicated, will be on WPTF tomorrow night. Uh, and uh, uh, as an ex-history teacher, I thought it would be nice uh, to sort of do a meditation on the elections in American history and some of those that uh, were peculiar or unusual. And one of the things I've tried to establish is that in the uh, Constitutional Convention, they came up with the Electoral College, which is something that is peculiar and unusual because it's the Electoral College that actually elects the president. It is not a, a case of a popular election. The, the people who are the electors are people in each state who are chosen usually to represent a political party, and we vote for our presidential candidates 
by party. That is, we vote for a pair. That was something where they had to change the Constitution after the 1800 election, and I'm not going to wade into that briar patch because it is it is indeed a briar patch. But we end up with Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Byrd, the man who ended up killing uh, Alexander Hamilton in the duel, uh, tied for number one. Burr was a pretty good politician, but he was a little bit of a shyster, too. So it's worth your finding yourself a history book and reading about that. But uh, the uh, they had to change so you would elect a pair, a president and a vice president together. Before that, the person who got the most votes was the president, and the person who got the second vote, most votes, even if he was from the other side, was the vice president. And that's why the creation of political parties made a redefinition of the voting process necessary. And we had two political parties, a Federalist Party, until about the time of the War of 1812, and it was primarily a northern party. In fact, it was centered in New York and New England, and it uh, there was a threat of... Uh, of uh, secession from the Federalists because they didn't like the laws that were being produced by the Democratic-Republican presidents, and I'm talking here of Jefferson, Madison, and James Monroe, and and they ended up basically going out of business after the War of 1812, the Federalists, I'm saying. And there was a period there when there was really only one political party. It's usually called in American history the era of good feelings. There there wasn't a division enough to create another party. The president during most of this was James Monroe, he of the Monroe Doctrine, and all of that is very interesting, too. But we're more interested tonight in elections, and the election of 1824 was the first time that the Electoral College uh, uh, had to be uh, uh, called into when it was a, a, a question of apparently a president getting more votes than the than another, but the the one with the lesser votes being elected by the electoral college. In fact, something happened in 1824 that has never happened again, and that is when the election was thrown into the hands of the electoral college, they could not come up with a majority. There were four candidates: Andy uh, William Crawford, Andrew Jackson, John Quincy Adams, and Henry Clay, and they. The, the rules were that he could only take the top three, and so Clay was, he, he was eliminated. But uh, the the election, because the uh, Electoral College could not come down with a winner, nobody in the Electoral College, the electors from the different states voting, got a majority. It was, by the rules, thrown into the hands of the House of Representatives. And what happens there is the different states vote for the candidates who are still there, the three in this case, they don't vote uh, as individual members. Each state's members vote, and each state gets one vote. So North Carolina would have gotten one vote. New York would have gotten one vote. Kentucky would have gotten one vote. And the man who got the most votes was not the man who got the most uh, popular votes. They're not really sure about the popular votes because some states did not have popular election of electors. Some states, the... The legislatures appointed the electors. In fact, uh, it's little realized by most Americans, I think, that the senators from each state were appointed by the state legislatures. North Carolina's two senators in Washington would be appointed by the state legislature. Uh, most states continued to do that until 
the first part of the 19th century. In fact, the, there was a constitutional amendment, I believe, in 1913 that uh, said that senators like representatives, would be popularly elected. That is, elected by the population rather than appointed by the state legislatures. I think maybe that probably was a little bit left over from from the, the model that Americans really were making their government from, and that is the British government, because you know that the prime minister is a member of the House of Parliament. He is, in fact, the leader of the majority party. But that's another story. There, there are lots of good stories in this. But uh, 1824, the, the, the popular election, well, all the states didn't have a popular election, but the, Andrew Jackson got the most votes of the, you know, the popular. He had won the Battle of New Orleans, after all. In 1816, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. You know that song, Johnny, whatever his name was, Johnny. Can't think of his name. Uh, Jackson got the most votes. The electoral it was in the hands of the electoral college because they do elect the president. The the the, the popular voters are, are indicators. They choose the electors, but the electors and the electors are chosen uh, by the candidate who gets the most votes in that particular state. But that does not mean that the electors actually have to vote for the person who got the most votes. Most of the times that's happened, and they, they, they even have a word for those who, who decide to vote for somebody else. I think it was in 1972 that one of the North Carolina electors who had been uh, on the electors board for Richard Nixon, and he carried North Carolina, I believe, but the elector chose to vote for the third-party candidate in that election, uh, George Wallace. He said that he would not have, he would have voted for Nixon if it had mattered, but he wanted to, to show something by voting for George Wallace. So this is called a faithless elector, a faithless. He, he, he does not live up to the faith that the people who voted for him, because the electors usually are members of the party who are in good standing, who are trusted, who may have been leaders but were not senators, representatives. In fact, they cannot be elected officials. But when the states voted, John Quincy Adams, who got the second most votes, was elected. And Jackson's people blew up and declared that there had been a bargain between Henry Clay, who did, did not like Jackson, and uh, John Quincy Adams' people uh, to make sure that uh, John Quincy... Another interesting story. Another interesting story. But you know that Jackson is going to get to be president uh, right after John Quincy Adams finishes this debated term. And he's going to be uh, one of the most, most popular presidents of that period, one of the founders of the, the next version of the Democrat Party or the Democratic Party. In fact, historians tend to refer to this period as the age of Jackson because his ideas were dominated. But he had to wait to be real, to be elected on his own by a board of electors in 1828 and again in 1832. So that's one of the contested elections when the person who got the most votes did.
did not get to be the president, at least right then. Jackson did get to be the president. There are, let's see, 1888, uh, it's Benjamin Harrison who gets the most, uh, doesn't get the most votes. Uh, Grover Cleveland got the most votes. Grover Cleveland had been president and was running for a second term, and he ran against Benjamin Harrison, and Grover Cleveland got the most votes. Benjamin Harrison got the most electoral votes. It's a matter of where you carry them from, what 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 different areas you carry carry them from. It's beyond me to complete an explanation of that here, but it it's an idea. I'm thumping you in the direction of finding out. After 1888, uh, or before 1888, there had been the election of 1876, and we'll talk about that when we come back. You know, walk through American history touching on elections that uh, were a little unusual, usually because the person who was elected was not the person who got the most popular votes, but rather uh, someone who uh, and, and was in fact elected by a strange thing called the Electoral College. And I did a little, I've done a little research over the years, and the Electoral College is not totally different now. It's about the same thing now as it was when the Founding Fathers wrote it into the Constitution circus. 1787. It was, uh, well, what they had is they had a, a chief executive officer. It was a president. They ultimately would have to decide what, what executive officer meant, and that is, did he just do what the legislature wanted him to do, uh, or did he have developed his own policies? And, and it turns out in the modern era, it has been the second of those two, and the president has become basically a leader, and what whatever the country was, was what that president's policies were, and he was held responsible for them. Uh, and uh, the legislature might be following and might not be. We had separation of powers, is what they call this when we learned it in government. But uh, I, I did want to at least touch on the elections that occurred that the person elected uh, did not receive the most popular votes. The 1876 is the most clear example of where the person who the most people wanted to be president, that is, by votes, the popular election, he won not only a plurality, but a majority of all the, of the, all the votes that were cast for president. And his name was Samuel J. Tilden, and he was the Democrat candidate for president. The Republican candidate was Rutherford B. Hayes. And the problem, as it turned out, uh, when the when the votes were cast, let's see if I can get this right. I'm doing this off the top of my head now. Is that uh, Hayes got 184 votes, uh, 165 votes. Uh, Tillman got 184, and there were 20 votes up in the air. Because in three states in the South, South Carolina, Louisiana, and one other state, there were two groups. Each party claimed that they won, and there was no way to decide. And this was when there was a kind of an unruly time in the in the South because of the thing called uh, Reconstruction. They, there were still federal troops uh, stationed in the South, and and uh, the, it was not entirely clear in some places uh, what the legitimate government was, and in this case, the legitimate slate of electors. And so it turned out that Tillman was one vote short, and 
Hayes would need 20 votes. But these three represented 20 votes. And what actually happened was a deal was worked out. The senators wanted the federal troops that were stationed there since the Civil War to go away and turn the South back over to Southerners and let them run it. And that would have meant, of course, the, the, the blacks who were there, too. And uh, the Republicans wanted to, this is the supporters of Hayes, wanted Hayes to win enough that they, they made a deal. The, the troops were withdrawn, Reconstruction was over, the South was back in the Union fully and completely, and Samuel J. Tilden, who had won the most votes, both in the popular vote and the electoral vote, but he didn't win the most in the electoral vote because they gave all 20 of the disputed votes to Hayes. And we know that Rutherford B. Hayes became president. His wife was Lemonade Lucy, you know. And uh, and the scholars have, have worked on this, and uh, it's worth reading about. Uh, distinguished American historian C. Van Woodward has written a book about this particular election, The Great Compromise. So there's one. And then the, the next election after that, where there was a dispute, because uh, uh, when Grover Cleveland in 1888 ran for his second term, he had won in 1884, he ran again against Benjamin Harrison. Harrison did receive the second most votes. Cleveland received the most popular votes, but Harrison received the most electoral votes. And so he was the president. And then... After that, Cleveland came back and ran a third time and won election, and, and as a result became the only American president to serve two terms with somebody in between, with a, with a separation in between. So uh, that's uh, the election, the last election in the 19th century that was uh, decided in favor of uh, the man who got the second most votes rather than the man who got the first most votes. And the, the other election that we need to mention to complete this tonight is the election of 2000, uh, of 2000, right, um, George Bush and Al Gore. And uh, maybe it's recent enough that you will remember and that ultimately there, there was consternation and recounts going on and the Supreme Court uh, intervened and decided that... Uh, that Bush should have won the election, and indeed he served a term, and in fact two terms, uh, as president. The election of, of, of 2016, in fact, was an election in which the candidate who won was not the one who got the most popular votes, but we, we are not talking about current politics tonight. Just a little bit of history to show you that there is history and that there is a reason to read some, some history books uh, still. Uh, well, that pretty much deals with what I wanted to talk about tonight. To just plug some strings, remind you of some things on this day before the election. As, as I said at the beginning, John uh, Sauter, our producer, said that there was a lot of supposedly anxiety out there. And so maybe we needed to relax a little bit. That's our program for tonight. Tomorrow night, election returns in these time periods.